Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where feelings towards Switzerland are anything but neutral. Book number 38, Leaving Home. Can Jessica find a way to stop Elizabeth from leaving Sweet Valley? Hi, welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. I am your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today, again, via remote telephone conference call, is my friend, Nora Hanna. Hi, Marissa. I'm happy to be here. Hi, Nora. I said again, like you were on the show again. This is your first time on Sweet Valley Diaries, but I meant again because uh, the last episode was also a Zoom conference call with a mutual friend of ours. Meredith. Well, do you care to add anything to my very brief introduction to you, Nora? Um, I live um, outside of Boston. Um, I am a museum curator for a local historical society. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter, um, and my dog is being kind of crazy in the background right now. Um, I think I've known Marissa for a very long time. We went to college together, and I'm very right. beyond because I have I've listened to all the episodes. Ah, so exciting. Yes, Nora and I are friends from college. And speaking of which, didn't you have a focus on um, Nancy Drew in your college thesis paper? I was a history major. For undergrad, we had to do a thesis. So I had to figure out some sort of topic to talk about. And so I compared the 1930s uh, Nancy Drew with their counterparts. Essentially, they were the first five books were, if I remember correctly, rewritten in the 1950s by a different ghostwriter. So the plots were basically identical, but the only things that were different were you would recognize certain like social commentary in the 30s. That's so interesting. And so exciting to me. You know, a similar thing happened with the Sweet Valley High novels. Um, obviously, they were originally written in the 80s and 90s, the first five books written in like 83, 84. And they rewrote the books in the early 2000s. Um, I don't think they got much further into the rewrite than those first few, partly because uh, the way that they were, I, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think that the way that they were updating the books was maybe... Um, creating books that were super exciting to 21st century preteens, but I could be wrong. I don't really know, Uh, like, the marketing into it. Yeah, and I actually never uh, read these growing up. I was a firmly um, Babysitter's Club camp, so. Not even any, like, Sweet Valley twins or Sweet Valley kids? No, I I didn't. I was aware of the TV show. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I've been too old for that. I'm not sure. I'm just aware of it. I don't think I even watched it. Well, I didn't watch the TV show, although I'm definitely interested in watching the TV show. Uh, I've watched an episode of it. It was amazing. And I I also was much more into Babysitter's Club, as I've said on the show before. But I read some Sweet Valley Twins and Kids, and um, I think that that definitely feeds into my fascination with these books. But at this point, my knowledge and expertise, or whatever you want to call it, about Sweet Valley High definitely goes way further than any interest I've ever had in Babysitter's Club or in Nancy Drew, which I also liked those books when I when I was a kid. My grandmother gave me some Nancy Drews, and I, um, boy, I just thought they were fun. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I still really like a good period anything. So something that's set in another time really works for me. I mean, hell, maybe if, if we were to reboot the Sweet Valley High series, it might actually make sense to keep it in the 80s rather than to try to set it in the, the modern day. I don't know. I mean, there's certain references in the book. Like there was one where when Steven is home and he's just really psyched about his dad's cordless phone. And I just thought like, Oh, that's so cute. It's the Yes. That was so beautiful. Uh, so gladiators, are you annoyed yet that we haven't started talking about the book? Yeah. <laughs> no, but no, I'm sure you're not annoyed because this is a really fascinating conversation about a topic that you're probably interested in if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, but this book, man, Boy, I had some feelings about it. I read it last night, and it made me pretty mad. And then I still don't know if I'm mad or happy. Uh, It has a B story that is 
was a refreshing uh, relief from the A story, but nothing more because it didn't have anything to do with the main plot. Um, But before we talk about the content of the book, uh, it is our tradition here on Sweet Valley Diaries, as you well know, as a listener of the show, Nora, to talk about the cover of the book. Yes. So back to uh, the 80s cordless phone conversation, uh, Elizabeth is looking up, uh, signing to her a picture of Switzerland um, while working on her electric typewriter. And as always, Jessica is in the background, either angry about something or scheming, uh, just kind of mad that, you know, God forbid Elizabeth does something she enjoys in his challenge. She's like, no. <laughs> you make a great point. This cover is actually much more of a full scene than we almost ever get on these covers. Jessica is standing in the doorway. She's got her head in her chin. She's staring into Elizabeth's bedroom. And I'm just now noticing that, yeah, there is a poster that says Switzerland on the wall. And Elizabeth is looking at it. Um, yeah, and this is another one where if we didn't know, like, it, it's clear because of the context, which one of these twins is Elizabeth and Jessica, but boy, they really look the same on this cover. Jessica's wearing jeans and like a tank top, like a silk tank top, maybe? Because, you know, why not? Yeah, Elizabeth has a barrette. So I guess that's a good clue that it's Elizabeth. Jessica's not into that barrette style. One fascinating detail of this book, this book, before we get into the plot, I will say it has all these juicy little, like, you know, secrets in terms of, like, questions about Sweet Valley and the world that don't, they don't really matter. But it was like, we find out, for example, that Jeffrey French's birthday is July 12th. And in my little, like, you know, trying to be an encyclopedia of Sweet Valley brain, I'm, like, storing that away. Like, someone just asked me recently when the twins' birthday was, and I have no idea, but I know Jeffrey French's birthday is July 12th. I don't think, I mean, I haven't really been as up in them as you, but maybe they just haven't said, right? Oh, I don't think they have. Yeah, I hope they haven't. I feel like I would have stored that away. It just seems that, you know, the books have a blowout party every book so a birthday party just would just be like one of another of a thousand parties that they have so i hope they get to it eventually because even though that like time doesn't exist which is it's an important note actually for this book because the whatever this thing that they're thinking about getting to and it's going to be so sad when elizabeth leaves for senior year like that's never going to happen the senior year it doesn't exist so this really <laughs> Nothing to worry about, guys. Wasn't she in a coma like two months ago? Like, well, yeah. Who knows? One thing's happened. Um, the, and just in the last book, Meredith and I were talking about how Elizabeth forgot to mention her coma to this director, Jackson Croft. But in this book, the coma comes up again, so she hasn't forgotten about it. It comes up in passing. What other little juicy details? Before I, I totally lose that thread. Um, there was the juicy detail that oh, I really feel like. Sweet Valley must be a lot closer to San Diego than I was maybe thinking, because in the plot, Elizabeth has to, like, drive down to San Diego for a meeting, and then she and the people she's meeting are, like, coming back up to Sweet Valley, which, if she lived in, like, Orange... I'm only saying that because I used to live in Orange. Let's say she, it's not Orange. It's a beach town. If she lived in, like, Newport, that would still be, like, over an hour drive, even in good traffic. Did she take the bus at some point? I feel like she took the bus and I was surprised. Oh, yeah, she did. And I was like, ooh, public transportation, shout out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess traffic probably wasn't as bad in the late 80s as it is now either. Um, So as long as we're talking about what Elizabeth was up to, the plot of this book can be summed up pretty succinctly. I mean, we'll go through it below, blah, blow, because that's what we do here on the show. But basically, uh, Regina Morrow talked to Elizabeth about Switzerland and how great it was. And there's this school called Interlochen. Elizabeth can go study there for a year for her senior year. And she's really excited about it. And she wants to go. So she's going to need a scholarship. A scholarship guy and gal are going to come talk to her to see if she can get it. And nobody in her life has any interest in her going to this program. Everybody's really upset about it except for her. 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it was nice having you on the show, Nora. <laughs> Bye. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Of, of course, it's more. It's there's much more drama than that. But that's the long and short of it, huh? Or the short of it. Boy, her family is terrible. Like this book. So that's such a weird thing about this book is that it's kind of told from almost from Jessica's perspective. Like we get Elizabeth's inner monologue more than Jessica's, but it's almost like the book wants us to side with Jessica, even though Jessica is just being unbelievable. Sociopath? A sociopath, yes. She has no, she really has no remorse until she sees how much she's upset her sister. And even then she's still like, but don't you understand my reasoning? Okay, well, we should get there. I mean, it starts out on the beach, right? Mm -hmm. She's on the beach and she's actually brought a brochure about Interlochen to the beach. Yeah, and nobody shows any interest. Like, Enid isn't really that into it. Certainly not Jessica. Everyone is sort of like, what are you talking about? And is very not supportive. Right. Jessica is like, like, well, are you still haven't dropped that? Like, she's starting to realize that Elizabeth is really serious about maybe spending her senior year in Switzerland. And Enid is getting nervous, too, because she doesn't want her friend to leave. This this I can relate to a little bit. You know, if you had your best friend, especially Enid, who I don't think has a ton of friends, and certainly not one as close as Elizabeth... You know, it would be sad to hear her talking about it. And Elizabeth is so excited about the program that she's not fully thinking about how her friends will be sad and her family will be sad to lose her. That being said, her friends are also like, not even kind of pausing to think about what a big deal this is to Elizabeth and how excited she is about it and why. Yeah, and I think that really is a thread that goes throughout the whole book, except, well, Jeffrey and Enid eventually come around but kind of shoot themselves in the foot. Oh, my God. But, like, to the casual observer, it is really sketchy when your boyfriend and your best friend are, like, spending all time together. I guess so. We'll get there. But I guess we should start with saying that Yeah, everybody in Elizabeth's life is, including Jeffrey, early on in the book, Elizabeth is dealing with the fact that Jeffrey is feeling a little bit sad at the prospect of Elizabeth going away and how long she'll be gone. And, you know, it's his girlfriend. And also, he just moved to town. They just got together. They may be in love, but it's like, it's basically your girlfriend goes away for your senior year of high school. That's probably it, right? I mean, especially since you've only been dating for you know, question mark number of months, but it's been five or six books. Yes. So So that can't possibly be more than a month or two. Mm -hmm. But they're massively in love, Marissa. Massively in love. Very much in love. So I'm going to go ahead and read. Um, So Jeffrey's saying that he feels sad about her wanting to leave, and he feels sad about the fact that she wants to leave, not just that she's... Or not just that she might go, but that she really wants to go. (laughs) Anyway, she says, It's only natural, but it's not like we couldn't stay in touch. There'd be vacations, and we could always write and everything. She smiled up at him affectionately. And it wouldn't be for that long. Only for our senior year. Only for our senior year, Jeffrey repeated, shaking his head. That's pretty funny, Liz, especially coming from you. After all you and Todd went through when he moved to Vermont, aren't you afraid the distance would get to be too much for us, too? Elizabeth shook her head impatiently. Of course not. That was a completely different thing, she declared. She really didn't see how Jeffrey could think the separation would hurt them as a couple. What he said about her former boyfriend, Todd Wilkins, was true. But then Elizabeth reasoned, Todd had moved away forever. Elizabeth knew that after her year abroad, she would be coming back to Sweet Valley. She was convinced the separation wouldn't have the same impact on Jeffrey and her. Besides, she didn't want to think back to the pain she had suffered when Todd had moved away. She was too busy looking at the display in the window of the ski shop. Imagine shushing down Mont Blanc or the Matterhorn. She could barely believe that in just a matter of months, she might actually be living in Switzerland. It made her tingle all over just thinking about it. Mm. She really wants to go to Switzerland. Yeah, I have to say, um, I know that, I have a feeling you didn't know this um, when you asked me to be on the show, but I have like a, a kind of a cool, weird connection to Interlaken, Switzerland. Um, my parents are both from the Boston area. 
but they went on a like young singles ski trip to Interlaken. Uh, and that's where they met each that's other. That's crazy. So I was very sympathetic to Elizabeth because Switzerland was always seen as this very romantic place to me. Uh, and uh, to kind of a funny story related to that is that my parents went back to Interlaken for their 40th wedding anniversary. And the place that they had their first date is now a Hooters. <laughs> oh, no. That was definitely not something Elizabeth was fantasizing about. That was not what she was picturing but um i mean i wouldn't say that like switzerland makes me tingle but i (laughs) if we ever have merch for this show we should definitely have like a t-shirt or a mug that says switzerland makes me tingle (laughs) (laughs) but no that's that's amazing and I, i i am so excited that you have that tie i think that you know, Switzerland sounds amazing, but there is a part of the book later on that this reminds me of where Elizabeth has this realization that she's been imagining this fantasy version of Switzerland. She's been imagining the ski shop storefront window version of Switzerland and not really thinking very much about what the day-to-day of her life would be like. Um, That's sort of like a, you know, realization that Elizabeth has laid on in the book when, you know, spoiler alert, gladiators, Elizabeth doesn't go to Switzerland. But like, obviously, she's not going to go because she's the star of the book, then they can't have the books. Although I guess she could have gone for like, if they hadn't made it a year long trip, but then this book wouldn't have existed. So in that passage that I just read, I think that it's reasonable for us to read that. And and you can hear how Elizabeth is being short sighted. You know, she's kidding herself about how easy or hard it's going to be. She's trying to ignore the facts. But it still is a really cool opportunity. I feel like the book itself is that's as far as it goes. I don't know what you think, Nora, but for me, it seemed like that's as far as the book goes in terms of trying to convince us that interlocking is a bad idea for Elizabeth. Like, it, like it that toes this line, you know, a few more times that like edges up to this this border of like maybe Elizabeth is kidding herself a little bit, like maybe she's being a little bit unrealistic, but it never actually makes it seem like truly a bad idea. Because it isn't, right? Right. And and if her parents are like, we just simply, like, we're saving for your college. Like, we simply can't afford to send you to Switzerland for your last year of high school. But that's sort of tied up with this, you know, scholarship that, of course, she gets despite her family's best you know so the scholarship is really like that's the backbone of of the story so this is true and also another window into how much money this wakefields really do or don't have they don't have so much money that they can just send elizabeth to switzerland for a year of school but elizabeth can go if she gets a scholarship it's a very specific scholarship huh Yes, it's almost as if it was written so that Elizabeth would get it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Elizabeth Wakefield This Is For You scholarship. Oh my gosh. I I, I um I made a mark of I made a mark of the description <laughs> so that I could ex- share it with the gladiators. The scholarship is called the Margaret Stern scholarship. And I'm going to read this passage for two reasons. One is to explain the scholarship to you all, and the other is because of what Jessica says, which is just really classic Jessica sociopathic commentary, no matter how little she wants Elizabeth to get the scholarship. Okay. Prize is called the Margaret Stern Memorial Prize for Creative Writing. I wonder who Margaret Stern was, Jessica said darkly, pouring herself a glass of Diet Coke. She was probably some poor girl who abandoned her family and came to a horrible end in the Alps somewhere. Elizabeth frowned at her. You happen to be wrong, she informed her sister. Margaret Stern was a talented young writer who died prematurely of a terminal illness. It says right here that the Stern family set up these scholarships in her name. Her eyes flicked over the tiny print describing the scholarship. Applicants should have demonstrated ability for creative writing. They must be female between the ages of 15 and 17 and must be from California. They must show a commitment to scholarship and academic excellence as well as embody the traits Margaret Stern was known for. Courage, persistence, dedication, and an involvement in community affairs. Gag, Jessica said, getting up to look in the cupboards. 
No wonder this girl didn't make it to maturity. She sounds like she was more of a saint than a human being. <laughs> That's all, Reed. I could keep reading, but... Bitch! <laughs> yeah, but you're, like, you're right on the money. It does sound an awful lot like a scholarship that was designed just so that Elizabeth could get it. Right. I mean, the California piece is really... Yeah, Ugh, the cherry. And I'm pretty sure the scholarship is specifically for people that want to go to the Interlochen. Am I wrong? Oh, that's that's how I'm reading it. So it's like you have to be from California, a girl between 15 and 17 who wants to go to this school in Switzerland. So, mm-hmm. so the process of this whole scholarship thing is that this guy whose name is Mr. Stern is going to come, he's, or he lives in California, and he's going to do an interview with Elizabeth, but then he's also going to come to the Elizabeth's house and school and kind of, like, talk to people at the house and the school. And Elizabeth is getting a little bit extra about that whole process because she's telling everybody, like, her, her parents, her brother and sister, she's telling... Enid and Jeffrey, like, this Mr. Stern, he's going to come talk to everybody and he's going to ask about me and uh, maybe we should practice, like, what you're going to say because you can't say anything bad about me. I mean, I I know that it was, like, a plot device that we have this guy come, but, it. I mean, college acceptance is, like, way less elaborate than this. Yeah, why would that happen? Why would this happen? Why would he come all the way up to have all these, like, prying questions? It just seems kind of extra and creepy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and of course, when Elizabeth talks to her family and her friends, they all say the same thing, which is like, Elizabeth, you are great. Like, you don't need to coach us in what to say. We'll just say the truth. And they'll make a joke about how, like, Eden makes a joke that's something like, oh, so I shouldn't tell him about your drug problem. And Elizabeth's like, that's not funny. This is not a joking matter. <laughs> so she's really <laughs> uptight about the whole business. Yeah. Well, apparently she was right to be totally uptight about it because I don't know. Do you want to get yeah, into that part? Yeah, let's do it. Right. So this is the moment that uh, you realize that Jessica, her brother Stephen, are just like narcissistic sociopaths. Right. They they undermine Elizabeth at every turn. It's a great use of twin dressing up as other twin. So when Mr. Stern comes, um, she's able to, like, bypass her sister. Yeah, Jessica dresses – like, she has – first of all, she calls Stephen at college and has him come home. He wasn't supposed to be there when Mr. Stern arrived. And he comes home, and they make a plan together where they're both in total agreement that they have to sabotage Elizabeth's efforts to get the scholarship and go to the program. Oh, this was the reason – I knew I was forgetting something. One of the other little details that we learn uh, about the twins is that Jessica has given up ponytails. <laughs> so she feels a little silly putting her hair in a ponytail with a ribbon be- just because Elizabeth did because she doesn't wear ponytails anymore. So that'll be a big helpful clue when we're trying to differentiate the twins on the covers in the future. Um, she also has some kind of funny comment about how, like, if I'm going to dress up like a junior executive, I better make it worth it. <laughs> But yeah, she dresses up. When Mr. Stern is there at the at in Sweet Valley, she dresses up like Elizabeth. Oh, but we're jumping ahead cuz before that, Mr. Stern comes to the Wakefield house. That happens first. Right, right, right. Um and then they have the motorcycle parked out front. Right. So weird and upsetting for obvious reasons to the for Elizabeth's family cuz didn't they they lost like an uncle or right. cousin. The twins aren't allowed to ride a motorcycle because their cousin Rexy was killed in a motorcycle accident. And then Elizabeth got into a coma when she was on a motorcycle, the only time she ever rode on one. And so when Mr. Stern and Elizabeth pull up to the driveway and Elizabeth sees the motorcycle, she's like, this is weird because there's no way that one of somebody in my family pulled up on that motorcycle. Well, Jessica has, like, planted the motorcycle there because I guess she thinks Mr. Stern will disapprove of a motorcycle, which he does. So I guess she's right. And then she's dressed, like, I think, you know, miniskirt, tube top. 
they say a few times she's dressed like it's Halloween. She's wearing like a like a sequined bandeau and a lot of makeup and a and a leather mini skirt. Yeah, and then both of her parents I think are late. Right, which does no. suck. It sucks for them to both be late. But they're not right, trying not, to sabotage it. They weren't, but at the same time it's like she asked you to do one thing, parents. Right. And in some ways, Stephen is the worst of all because he just flat out lies to the guy. Like when they first walk in the door, he's just like, oh, yeah, mom and dad are late. But, you know, in this family, we don't really care about things like punctuality. Like what's an hour or two, you know? And they also, doesn't he say something like, we just can't be apart? Like yeah. almost like they're fault. Right. <laughs> well, and it looks bad for Steven to even be home because he's he says he's in college and the guy is like, Oh, well, are you on a break? And Steven's like, No, I just couldn't stand to be away from my family. And Mr. Stern's like, Well, doesn't that make it hard for you to do well in school? And Steven's like, Yeah, I talked to my professors about that one. It sure does. Which is I mean, Steven does come home a lot, but I don't think he's doing poorly in school. He's just flat out lying to this guy to to make Elizabeth's family look bad. Right. And even though he's not much older than his sisters, like, you know, he should know better. He should know better. And, but I guess it does bring up the question that, like, why does Mr. Stern care what Elizabeth's family is like? Like, couldn't she be great? Like, what if she were amazing in spite of having a slightly dysfunctional family? That would be even more to her credit, right? Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I mean, Mr. Stern is very stern. He is. They do spell Stern with an E so that we don't, we get fooled into not noticing that they've just named him after his main characteristic. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the whole process is sort of bizarre, but you have to just believe that this is a necessary part of, you know, going like this man comes to your school and be like, tell me about Elizabeth Wakefield. Like, just goes up to, like, random people and asks. But it's just very strange. Yeah. So we should talk about the big bad thing that Jessica and Stephen do uh, in a second. But I guess before we get to that, we should also talk about what else is going on in Elizabeth's life. You alluded to it before with Jeffrey and Enid. Here's a little fight between Edith and Elizabeth. Already, Elizabeth has, like, canceled the date with Jeffrey because she has to work on her, like, essay and her creative writing, and she's out too late at the beach disco with Enid. It's all, I don't know, but they're there anyway. And um, they go outside for a second, and it says, Enid dragged the tip of her shoe in the sand. You sure seem excited about this whole thing, she said flatly. All I ever hear from you is talk about Switzerland. Her jaw muscles tightened slightly. I guess Sweet Valley seems kind of dull to you these days, huh? Of course it doesn't, Elizabeth exclaimed. It's just that the interlock in school really seems like a dream come true. It would give me a chance to learn about a culture that's foreign to me, a chance to study with first-rate writers, and more than anything else, to soak up all that inspiration. Her eyes shone. I think if I manage to win a scholarship and actually go, this could be the turning point in my whole life. Enid shook her head. I think you're going off the deep end, Liz. I know I probably shouldn't say anything, she added quickly, but you and I are best friends and we've helped each other through some rough times. We've always been honest with each other, right? Right, Elizabeth said tensely, but I can't see what you mean about going off the deep end. I happen to think that everyone I know is being a little unfair. Not one person has supported me about this application. Not my parents, not Jessica, not even you. Maybe that's because we don't want you to go away, Enid cried. Did you ever think of that? That's pretty selfish, Elizabeth said angrily. It seems to me that part of being a best friend is wanting what's best for the other person. I'm not even convinced that Switzerland is the best place for you, Enid objected. I can see how exotic it all sounds, but would it really inspire you? Mr. Collins is always going on about how important it is to be inspired by common, everyday experiences. Why do you need to stare at the Alps to write? So that's the fight. And, um, you know, you see where Enid's coming from, but Elizabeth makes a lot of very strong points. Why? It's not Enid's place to decide whether or not this is the best thing for Elizabeth. But, of course, then Enid, she, Enid feels bad about this fight afterwards. And so that's when she goes to Jeffrey and they um, start their scheme. Yeah. So 
it's one of those things where they, they didn't have the best initial reaction, but they're a normal person and they thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> and they, you know, this is something that's really seems important to her and it could be really good, like academically for her. So why would we stand in our friend's way? There's why this, would we do? Yeah, there's this great writing teacher that she wants to study with that's there. And they're both like, this will be really hard for us, but we're going to support her. We'll make her this great like photo album because Jeffrey's a photographer and Enid wants to do something special. So of course they do make a weird decision in like not spending any time with Elizabeth over the course of the next week so that they can constantly like sneak off to work on this secret photo album. So initially, you know, as you would as someone's best friend and boyfriend, you're sort of concerned that they're not going to be there for senior year. So Enid and Jeffrey aren't immediately supportive and they, realize that no like she's our friend this is important to her we want to show her that we're really behind her but unfortunately show it is they have this secret project where they go over each other's house and they spend like their study breaks together doing this you know thoughtful photo album but uh to the outside observer like elizabeth she's like why are they spending so much time together and then why are they being so weird about it at one point, Jeffrey, like, part of the, like, thing that gets Elizabeth paranoid is that Jeffrey is supposed to meet her for lunch at school. He leaves a note for her in her locker, but she doesn't get it because some sophomores steal it conveniently. And then Lila tells Elizabeth, like, oh, I saw them together. And Elizabeth is like, oh, Lila can create drama and, like, you know, romance intrigue out of anything, but it doesn't change the fact that now the idea is in her head. And I got so pissed off at Elizabeth about this. I feel like you're being understanding of Elizabeth. But for me, I was just like, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if, if all things being equal, if she didn't have all this other stuff going on in the background, like tension and stress about the application and whether she's making the right decision and like how her family's just being shitty, I don't think it might... It, she would have let it get to her as much as it has because everything is so sort of unstable. That's a good point. Yeah. And because the co- communication is kind of cut off between Jeffrey and Elizabeth and Ian and Elizabeth because, like, they're never home so they can talk on the phone or, like, then Elizabeth gets mad. And so when Jeffrey calls, Elizabeth doesn't take the call, blah, blah, blah. Like, Elizabeth is still operating under the assumption that Jeffrey and Enid, like everybody else, don't support this decision. So I guess you can understand why she might think, like, oh, yeah, they are already, like, finding solace in each other's arms and I'm not even gone yet. I don't even have the scholarship yet. Especially since Enid was originally interested in Jeffrey when he first moved to town. Oh, yeah. No, Jeffrey was like a hot commodity. (laughs) There's a whole book about it. It's called Taking Sides. Uh, So I guess we can get to the... Is there anything else that we're skipping if we we get into the uh, big scam? No, I don't think so. Okay. So we already referenced the fact that Jessica uses Stephen's help to, like, find out what Elizabeth is wearing that morning so that she can dress just like Elizabeth. Luckily, Elizabeth is wearing a blazer that they both have. Yes, that they both got for Christmas. Uh, and uh, I think so initially it goes well. They Elizabeth is able to meet with Mr. Stern and they have, you know, just like a regular interview. Um, and it, they have a really positive impression. And then for some reason, whether she goes to class or something, um, Mr. Stern is intercepted by Jessica looking yeah. like Elizabeth. And um, Mr. Stern is, like, coming out of a meeting with Mr. Collins, where Mr. Collins has just given this, like, most glowing report of a student that Mr. Stern has ever heard. And then Jessica, who's, like, watching from behind a doorway, pops out. And I'm going to read this because it's amazing. All right. So Jessica watches um, Elizabeth shake hands with Mr. Stern and go down the hallway, and then she kind of pops out. Oh, Mr. Stern, she sang out sweetly. I forgot to tell you something. Mr. Stern turned around, confused. I thought you said you were going to class, he said. Oh, class, Jessica poo-pooed. That can wait. I just realized that I've been forgetting to tell you one of the most important things in my entire life. She batted her eyelashes at him. Have I mentioned at all how very important I think men are? Men? Mr. Stern repeated blankly. 
You know, Jessica cocooned, tucking her arm knowingly through his. Men. No, you haven't mentioned that, Mr. Stern said, pushing up his glasses and staring at her in consternation. Of course, I don't believe in limiting oneself, Jessica assured him. One of my goals is to meet a really rich Swiss banker and spend the rest of my life in luxury. I think it's terribly important for a writer to have some kind of independent means of support, don't you? Mr. Stern gasped. Before he could respond, Randy Lloyd, who had been carefully prepped on what to say and how to act, came hurrying toward them. Jessica hoped he would remember his lines. "'Liz, darling!' he exclaimed, leaning over to kiss her. "'Randy,' Jessica said huskily, "'please meet Mr. Stern.' "'Mr. Stern is my friend, Randy.' "'Wait, what? Sorry, I'm reading this. She's, "'I thought that she told Mr. Stern that Randy was her friend, "'but it says, Mr. Stern is my friend, Randy.' "'She managed to put as much mysterious emphasis "'on the word friend as possible.' "'Mr. Stern shook his head.' I don't understand, Elizabeth, he said primly. You seem like a completely different young lady from the one whom I was just... Look, there's Tom, Jessica gasped, twirling to stare at Tom McKay, a well-built brown-haired junior who had also been primed on the sabotage Switzerland scheme. I have to dash, she told Mr. Stern. Randy, sweetheart, be an angel and walk Mr. Stern to the office, would you? I have to go ask Tom if he still plans on taking me to the beach disco tonight. Disco, Mr. Stern repeated faintly, but there was no chance for an answer. So, yeah. Uh, I also appreciated the deeply sexualization of Mr. Collins in this interaction. Ooh, ooh. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's Collins Watch 2020. Do you have the passage? I didn't mark it. Um, so, um, Mr. Collins is so darling, isn't he? Jessica said. Darn, she thought. Here, she was doing so well, and Mr. Collins had to complicate everything. I have to confess, I've been madly in love with him ever since I first knew him, she added. I mean, he's the most gorgeous teacher I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, and Mr. Stern is like, oh, geez. Because Mr. Collins has just given her, or who he, he thinks has just given this woman, like, this glowing review. And then now she's like, oh, I'm madly in love with him. But can I just point out that Mr. Stern is dumb because he already knows that Elizabeth has a twin sister. Mm-hmm. And he says explicitly, like, you seem like two totally different people, you know, when he meets with Elizabeth later. It's like, yeah, dude. Yeah. Put it, the pieces together. Ugh. But anyway, it's quite a scheme, and it's really, really despicable. It's just reprehensible. I just, I, I just feel so badly for Elizabeth that she a has to be a member of this family, and uh, <laughs> they would do this elaborate scheme, and at no point either of her siblings were like, "Hey, we've taken this too far." Right. And her final Elizabeth's final interview with Mr. Stern at the school is interrupted by a phone call from someone with some name that she doesn't recognize. So it's like some other boy, which was Stephen calling the school. And Jessica or Elizabeth has to go answer it. She says at first, like, I don't know anybody by that name. But they insist and the person says the receptionist or whatever is like, it's, he says it's really important. But then right at the last minute, Elizabeth sees with horror she sees someone running past the window dressed ex- like dressed exactly like her. She sees Jessica dressed like her. Jessica's been hiding from Liz all day. And she's just like her blood boils. And I think she's as mad as she's ever been in the whole series. And, and she, she should be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's only when Elizabeth stands up for herself and says to her siblings, like, you're awful. Like, this was something that was really important to me. And no matter, I don't care about your motivation. I don't care if you thought you were doing the right thing. Like, You guys suck. Yeah, they keep on saying, like, it's only because we didn't want you to go. (laughs) She's like, yeah, well, fuck that. I wanted to go. I didn't, you know, what about what I wanted? Like, you don't get to choose for me. Like, so, which, and there's even a point she leaves and she she comes back again. And she's like, I can't wait to yell at them again. (laughs) I was like, I can't wait for you to yell at them again either. They deserve to be yelled at a lot. Um, but we should take a pause because I mentioned a certain gentleman in the last chapter that we don't know who he is. I don't know if he's important, but I mean, now seems like as good a time as any to go to the part of the podcast briefly where we talk about boys. What do you think? 
Yes. Oh, 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 who's a beautiful boy? Who's a beautiful boy? I'm in danger of losing my head. Are we talking about Kirk Anderson right now? Um, I was going to talk about Randy Lloyd real quick, but Kirk Anderson also needs to be discussed. He's getting played by Jessica so hard. Yeah. We don't know too much about Randy's physical appearance, but what we do know is that he is really into Jessica and he owns a pair of binoculars. Enid is like giving Jessica a hard time about like leading Randy Lloyd on when he likes her so much. And Jessica says, He is nice, she added lightly, picking up the binoculars again. Randy was a senior whom Jessica had dated a couple times over the course of the past several weeks. And, she added with a giggle, he owns expensive binoculars. If he keeps lending me things, who knows how long I'll stay interested. Oh, she's using the binoculars to check out boys like hot surfers surfing at the beach. That's what I think Randy wants her to be using the binoculars (laughs) for. So... Yeah, and so he's part of the plot, too, or part of the the plan. The Sabotage Switzerland Scheme. Alliteration. You know, it's really interesting because I've kind of... It's successful, right? Because it makes um, Elizabeth appear, like, boy crazy and kind of, for lack of a better term, like, loose, you know? Mm. And that's problematic because, like... yeah. It's irrelevant. Yeah. I think if any, it is definitely relevant. I think that's totally worth bringing up. The one thing that is, like, questionable no matter what is the way that now reading it out loud, if the book, if it's not just a typo and she really does mean to imply that there's some sort of special relationship between both her and Mr. Collins and, like, she's trying to seduce Mr. Stern, then that is definitely, like, okay, this is crossing a line. I mean, I didn't think you were going to disagree with me on that, but certainly the idea that she would date a lot of boys, it's kind of weird that Jessica even thinks that would reflect poorly on someone since she seems to think that's the greatest thing ever and the way all 16-year-olds should be. Mm-hmm. I know. Why would you limit yourself to one serious boyfriend? Um, <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, um, it's like problematic looking back on it only because it's like, a, it's slut-shamey. Kind of like, oh, yeah, she's like slut shaming herself or like utilizing slut shaming as a she's like weaponizing slut shaming in yeah. reverse against her sister. Yeah. but I just <laughs> complicated, also, right? It's complicated, but it's also like oh, Mr. Stern is so flipping uptight, he really is. God forbid somebody goes to a beach disco, it's not that big a deal. I think that's another important, ele- important element of the story. Because if Mr. Stern had not been such a tight ass, it also would have been harder for Elizabeth ultimately to turn it down. She's starting to feel a little bit like, is this really, are these the people that I want supporting me? But again, it doesn't actually go far enough to make you really agree with that perspective. So we have a couple more boys to talk about. And before we get to the main one, um, I just want to say a little bit more about Neil Fremont. I'm sorry. I keep calling him Fremont. Apparently his name is Neil Fremont. I thought his name was Neil Fremont. Well, regardless, Neil was a tall, attractive junior with dark brown hair and nice eyes. She, that's Jessica, always enjoyed their dates. Fun, but not spontaneous enough was what she had reported back to Lila and Kara. So that's poor Neil. Well, you know what's so funny is that I, like, amalgamate, like, I put all those two characters together. So I had thought Neil and Randy were the same person because they're both, they're like, they, <laughs> they are role, right? Like, she's like, oh, they're fun if I have nothing else to do, but. That's them. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about Kirk Anderson? He's new. Well, he's very, um, so he's a new person. He just moved from San Diego. There was a lot of San Diego talk. Yeah, he's tall and fantastically built. He had jet black hair and piercing blue eyes. Mm-hmm. So tall, dark, and handsome. He immediately is, is a, you know, it's kind of cocky, arrogant, good-looking guy. He flirts hard with Jessica and just, like, makes the assumption that she would go out with him. Um, right. He says something like, what's the social scene like here? I bet it's pretty dead, but I bet we can spice it up. And Jessica hates this. It's so weird. She's just like, this guy is so cocky. But it's interesting because he's essentially like the male Jessica. 
And <laughs> I am getting a very, like, Mr. Darcy vibe. Like, they hate each other. Oh, they hate each other so much. And then it's like, make out. So, but I'm hoping. <laughs> they definitely. The next, like, the next episode where they talk about the singles ads, which we'll get to later, I guess. But <laughs> I'm just hoping that that's going to feed into it because there's a lot of, like, sexual tension between the two. Right. And Kirk Anderson is definitely a plant for the future book because he doesn't do anything in this book other than be great at tennis and piss Jessica off. Perfect. Briefly. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, I'm trying to think of the other, what are the other, I mean, Jeff- I think that's basically it. Yeah, Jeffrey's always there. Um, oh, Mrs. Wakefield gives Elizabeth some really sound advice about uh, Jeffrey and Enid. Because <clears throat> she can just kind of sense that Elizabeth is feeling down. Um, and, oh, that's not the right Yeah. So Mrs. Wakefield can just kind of sense that Elizabeth is bummed out about something and isn't sharing it. And so they have this whole heart to heart about um, how Elizabeth has like jumped to she's making assumptions, Mm -hmm. um, which, boy, I just hate it when they do that. (laughs) It happens most of the time. And Elizabeth is so guilty of it. Like for all of her wisdom, she is as guilty of it as anybody. So when Elizabeth explains that she hasn't actually asked Enid what's going on between her and Jeffrey, if anything, Mrs. Wakefield says, um, you mean you don't want to burden yourself with anything like the facts? Honey, I'm surprised at you. It isn't like you to jump to conclusions. Have you told Jeffrey the way you're feeling? I never even see him anymore, Elizabeth said. How can I possibly tell him how I'm feeling? Don't you think you're being a little unfair to Jeffrey these days? Elizabeth stared at her. What do you mean? she demanded. I mean, Mrs. Whitfield said, that you seem to be asking an awful lot of him. You suddenly announced that what you want more than anything in the whole world is to move to Switzerland for an entire year and study creative writing. The way you put it, Jeffrey would be a real chauvinist if he didn't back you in the whole project. You keep emphasizing how important it will be for you, for your development, your writing, your future. She gave the ground beef a vigorous stir. She's cooking dinner. Have you even asked Jeffrey how he feels about the whole thing? It seems to me you've done an awful lot of assuming for him. You've assumed he's behind your plan. You've assumed he's going to wait around for you. And now you're assuming that he's interested in your best friend. Don't you think it's time you two actually sat down and talked? Oh, I just realized that there's a typo in this book. When she's After she gives the beef a vigorous stir, they don't put in another opening quote when she starts talking again. Anyway, that's kind of fun. Um, anyway, mom, Elizabeth says that she's right, and mom says, honey, this happens all the time. Two people fall in love, and the next thing you know, one of them is taking the other for granted. Or they both are. It's probably the greatest challenge a couple faces. Didn't I get a vibe that I was going to get some, like, marital strife sub-story from that? (laughs) That would be great. I definitely thought that, too. Like, what's going on with Ned and Alice? But what I thought was really interesting is I could never, ever have pictured my mother giving me that advice in the sense that, well, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, so (laughs) I made sure that I never met any boys in high school. But (laughs) if I had this really interesting opportunity and I had been dating a dude for like three months, my mom wouldn't be like, yeah, no, take it from his perspective. You're going to be leaving for a year. She'd be like, girl, get it. She would just tell me to right. follow my dreams because I'm freaking 17 and Jeffrey 16, 16. And you know, Jeffrey's not going to be your boyfriend forever. So it's right. just interesting that she has this like adult conversation that maybe you would have with a girlfriend, you know, who had been with someone for a long time and you're two adults. Right. The, Alice's advice is a wonderful advice for a married couple that's making decisions or for, you know, an adult couple that's been in a long-term relationship. But for Elizabeth to consider what her decision is doing for Jeffrey implies that they're in this, like, permanent relationship, which is a weird take for a mother who's, you know, of a 16-year-old girl. Yeah, I just thought, 
as a teenager, I would never, my mom would never have given that advice. Even if it was good, it was just the wrong audience. Well, it also falls into the category of weird advice to the young girls that are absorbing this book. Like, it's great if they can put a pin in it for when they're adults, but it's kind of weird, I guess, to think of your teen relationship this way. I don't know. I guess it just depends on what kind of person you are um, and what the relationship is like. Uh, But yeah, I mean, we are almost to the end of the story. Should we talk about the B story? Oh, the B story gave me a lot of stress. Um, it was a great B story with Winston and his quest to win the lottery. Um, but it just, it didn't need to drag on as long as it did. But do you, I don't want to get ahead. How do you want to frame this? No, I mean, I just think the B story, I mean, what you've said is great. Winston, he has a lottery ticket. He's inviting everybody over to a lottery reading party at his house, but then he and his girlfriend Maria are at the grocery store and there, there's basically like a magic switcheroo, like two people peeing in a fountain. Like Winston even acknowledges that it's like basically magic because that's how impossible it is. But they, they have the same coat. He and this old man have the same style coat, but in different sizes and the man, the old man takes Winston's coat by accident because somehow they both had their coats off at the grocery store checkout counter. I don't know how that even happened. But when it's time for the lottery party, Winston realizes that he took his lottery ticket. He had taken it out of the special safe he'd put it in and and put it in his coat pocket. And now the lottery ticket is in this old man, Mr. Oliver's coat pocket. And he's like, damn it. But when he puts on Mr. Oliver's coat... What should be in Mr. Oliver's coat pocket, but... A lottery ticket. The winning lottery ticket. Yeah. So Winston wins the lottery with this other guy's lottery ticket that he magically had in his matching coat pocket. Yeah, and you... And I understand initially the difficulty that Winston would have. The kind of crisis of conscience. Because... He sets himself... He could set himself up for college. He could... You know, it's... $25,000 even today is not insignificant. Um, But what we learn at the grocery store at their first interaction is that the old man and his granddaughter are, it's, it's apparent based on their appearance and things that they say to each other that they're not doing great financially um, and that they have to really be, you know, prudent with their money. Um, So beyond kind of the extras for Winston, this $25,000 just would be life-changing for the grandfather and the granddaughter. Yeah. And Winston goes to the man's house, like, multiple times. He sends the little girl a doll, but it's just, like, nothing he does makes him feel better. Even, like, he finds out that it's basically, like, the law of possession. Like, you know, he has the ticket. The lottery doesn't care who bought the ticket. They only care who turns it in. So he's not really doing anything legally wrong by taking the money it's only like morally questionable but ultimately he does the right thing yes and what i thought was really interesting and i don't think what i mean maybe this is cynical me but that he was totally cool with it that the old old man yeah that he was like no you're a hero for like coming back and telling me i don't know I guess, like, I can kind of see that. I mean, because he, 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 the old man knows everything that Winston knows, which is that he knows that he, the old man didn't know he won the lottery, because even though he buys a ticket, he's, like, started to decide that it's a waste of time and money, and he stopped following the numbers. So he didn't even know that he had the winning ticket. I still think that maybe there'd be a part of you that would be, like, kind of irritated that it took this long. Yeah. So. I I guess so. Well, and we don't know, like, did this old man, I don't think the old man shared any of the money with Winston or anything, so he wasn't that grateful. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> but yeah, so he's the right thing, and he's a, you know, Winston is always a very likable character in all of... Yeah, it was kind of nice to have a little Winston B story. We, I don't think we've ever really had that before. And it had nothing to do with the main story, but that made it, like, a real relief when after this horror show of just Elizabeth being completely wronged by her sister and brother, um, and everybody she knows, really, <laughs> she, we get a break, and we get to follow Winston for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. 
And it's, it's really interesting because a lot of the, like, I think you've called them the parade of randos that we, uh-huh. like, they all kind of make an appearance, right? Like, so Maria is dating Winston, who, like, not that long ago, I think Maria was, like, engaged as a high school student. Yeah. Then, like, Lynn Henry comes at the end and it's just like, <laughs> oh, these people we devoted an entire book to, well... They're still here. And then they have like a sentence and they move on. So. Yeah. Well, we don't see, um, what's her name? Uh, Sally Larson. And there's no, uh, oh, that oh, was, you know, those what? girls from, um, the last book. Uh, uh <laughs> it's not coming to me. <laughs> Wasn't it just, wasn't it just Susan? Susan. That sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, Susan. Sure. No, Susan from the last book. I'm thinking of the book before that. The um, Joanna Porter. Joanna Porter. Julie and Joanna Porter and Susan. Yeah, it's all coming to me. Um, my brain is slowly turning back on. I'm, I'm so focused in on leaving home now. I know. Uh, uh, speaking of going back and forth, I made a, I've made some promises about whether the dog, Prince Albert, was finally a golden retriever for good. And in this book, guess what? He's a lab, a laboratory retriever, which is the full name of a lab. But like a gold, golden retriever and laboratory retriever are two different breeds. I, I mean, is it, do you giggle every time you say Prince Albert? <laughs> no, I'm used to it by now, but I do realize that it is giggle worthy. It's just every, I was at work when I listened to the introduction of Prince Albert, and I was like, I hope nobody's listening. Yeah, no, my cousins, I think, uh, will never stop laughing about the fact that the dog's name is Prince Albert. (laughs) I'm sort of over it, but I'm way not over the fact that they can't decide what breed of dog he is. Um, Like, look, the two breeds are very similar in a lot of ways, but they're also two very popular dog breeds that are different. Sure. You know? They're different yeah, dogs. Like maybe I, I just because legitimately these are all different ghostwriters, right? Is this like a known thing? Because there is really, yeah, presumably. If there was, I think there was like a whole like cavalcade of them that it was written almost like a magazine or something. Like they had every issue had to kind of come out. Ooh, do they still do they still come out with new ones? Because you would be such a good ghostwriter. Oh, thank you. I wish that would be a, a great job for me, but alas, I don't think so. Well, everything makes uh, eventually, so I'm sure they'll reboot that, too. <laughs> yeah. You hear that, Bantam? We've been talking about it. Like, bring me on. I could, uh, I'll, uh, I've got lots of ideas. Uh, should we end this book? Should we talk about how it ends? Oh, sure. I feel like it's it's one of those things that's like almost like a foregone conclusion, is that she yeah. decides to stay. And Yeah, well, Jessica and Stephen feel so bad after they realize how awful they are, that they go to Mr. Stern and the woman, like Miss Crawford, I think is her name, who's like the liaison to Interlochen, and they explain what they did. And Mr. Stern shows up at the house with Miss Crawford, and they announce to the whole family that Elizabeth is going to get the scholarship after all. And then Jeffrey and Enid come to the house. Everybody's at the house at the same time. And they present Elizabeth with this beautiful photo album. They say, this was originally going to be a good luck album, but now I guess it's a congratulations album. We'll miss you album. A goodbye present. Yeah. And. And Jeffrey, you know, is, has, says all the right things at the end. He just says, like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad this is happening. Like, we'll figure it out. Um, Things I would say that are much more mature. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, at this point, Elizabeth has kind of already decided that she, her daydream of what her life was going to be in Switzerland isn't really what it's going to be like. And she makes an announcement that I read aloud to my roommate last night as I was reading the book at the dining room table. I was like, do you want to hear this? And Kat said, sure. (laughs) And I read this to her. Um, so she's thanking everybody for everything they've done for her, and now she's thanking Mr. Stern and Ms. Crawford. You have generously chosen me to represent Margaret Stern with your scholarship. She took a deep breath. But I'm sorry to tell you that I can't accept. A silence fell across the room. K. 
can't accept, Mr. Stern exclaimed, astonished. Do you realize that no one has ever turned down this scholarship offer before? Not in twenty years. Elizabeth smiled, shaking her head. I can believe that. The scholarship is very generous, and the Interlochen School looks like a wonderful place to study. She looked seriously around the room. It's just that I belong here, with my family and friends. I thought Switzerland was the most magical place on earth, but I can see now that this, she spread out her arms, is even more magical. I was looking for inspiration, and I discovered it's right here, with the people who love me most. Ms. Crawford began to clap. <laughs> Sorry, that's the next paragraph. I had to read the first sentence of the next paragraph, because, like... Yeah, no, you got a beginning of again, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because it's almost like Elizabeth's stuck in a cult that she can't get out of because this yeah. opportunity comes up and she's just like, no, these people who did these, I mean, granted, separate with Jeffrey and Enid. I mean, I guess they love her, but they have an odd way of doing it. So this is the perfect time for me to bring up uh, an email that I got from Catherine, who is a dedicated gladiator, who, it, listeners, if you want to write an email to me about the content of any of these books or just whatever. Uh, Sweet Valley Diaries at me.com is the email address. I'm going to go ahead and read this. Um, Catherine says, as much as I love this new season, I can't help but dread the impending book number 38, Leaving Home. I actually went to a high school much like the one Liz was interested in. Though it wasn't in Switzerland, I was living in a dorm away from my family, pursuing classes that my hometown schools never could have offered. I made lifelong friends, including my best friend there, and it really jump-started my academic career. To then read a book where Liz is presented with such an opportunity for personal and professional growth and watch as Jessica and Stephen try to ruin things for her, well, it certainly made me regret reading it on a fragile Kindle. And Elizabeth throwing the opportunity away so she could stay with her sister. It's definitely my least favorite Sweet Valley High. Have fun when your career stalls because you couldn't stop enabling your sister, Liz. So, um... Here's Catherine. She speaks the truth. so true. Uh, so, Nora... Now that we've covered the plot of leaving home, we can talk a little bit more about studying abroad and things like that in the bonus episode. But I'm wondering if you find yourself to be an Elizabeth or a Jessica. <laughs> I think this would be a hard one to sympathize. Not that like there's ever one that's, you know, there's been a few where she's like, yeah, terrible, but like, not terrible isn't a great descriptor for anyone um yeah i would have to go with elizabeth though i would like to believe that given the opportunity i would have gone to switzerland yeah i I mean i don't know it's all just like the book i don't you we sometimes consider this question like was this book written by an elizabeth or a jessica and i think this one must have been written by a jessica because the author of this book really wants us to think that elizabeth is making the right choice and that jessica and stephen were wrong but they had a point Uh, but boy i'm just not there none of us are there Catherine wasn't there nora and i are not there i don't just don't i don't see it just it's just such a there's no obstacles to her going other than like a disapproving family because if you have the opportunity to go she clearly loves writing the money to get her there is there it just seems like a a very no-brainer except if you want to continue the series in sweet valley without her yeah i mean missing senior year is rough and everything but yeah she seems to really want it and you know, her life will go on. She even seems to think that she's going to come back to Sweet Valley afterward and maybe go to Sweet Valley University or Sweet Valley College. Like, she's not really worried about this being her last year in in her hometown. Uh, So, yeah, it's super, super weird. But now we have to forget about it and move on to the next thing, which has something to do with, yeah, personal ads. Yeah, in the in the Oracle, They're, the high schoolers can can place dating ads now in the Oracle. They'll be are going to be able to. Yeah, the Oracle always has an element of no high school would ever have like a gossip column, or in this case, a new personals column where you can. I mean, it is what it is. It's essentially Tinder in your school newspaper. 
Yeah. So it's kind of funny to hear Lila and everybody talk about how sad this is, or Jessica says something about how the school paper is so progressive now. But do you want to go ahead and tease book 39 for us? Sure. What couples will find true love through the Oracle's new personals column? Find out in Sweet Valley High, number 39, Secret Admirer. That's right. Well, gladiators, tune in next week for a little bit more about the uh, ins and outs of leaving home and how it made Nora and I feel. And then the week after that, we'll be talking about that secret admirer, book number 39. Um, Nora, thank you so much for being here. Gladiators, uh, follow Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram or at Sweet Valley on Twitter, or send me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. Thanks for subscribing to the show. Uh, Give me a reading or review on Apple Podcasts if you want to. And most importantly, tell a friend about the show. And, oh, you can visit SweetValleyDiaries.net. I've been blogging about this series there for a really long time. So, yeah, when I was reading this book, I was like, did Marissa, did I tell Marissa that? That Please give me that credit. I just, I knew uh, from deep in my whole, my whole. Deep in my heart and soul.